Turn in our Bibles now to the book of Zechariah. So please open your Bibles to Zechariah and chapter 3 this morning. If you need help finding the book of Zechariah, perhaps it's easy to find Matthew. You probably know where Matthew is. And then work back from Matthew to Malachi. And then just before Malachi is Zechariah. Thank you, Mary. Okay, Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. Please keep your Bibles open there. I wonder if you're a dreamer. I don't mean a a daydreamer. Uh, I wonder if you're the sort of person who dreams a lot at night. It's amazing some people who've had very significant dreams in their lives. Take this man, for instance, Elias Howe. Elias Howe in 1865 was a poor man who was trying to work out an invention to help with sewing. And he couldn't work out how to get the needle and the thread in the sewing machine to work. And uh, he, was having, he was inventing the sewing machine, but he couldn't get it to work. And one night, he had a dream. Uh, he had a dream that he was being chased by cannonballs. And cannonballs were after him, and these people were going to catch him if he didn't finish making this sewing machine. And as he turned around and looked at these men running towards him, they all had spears, and the spears had a little hole in the end by the point. And the next morning, he realized that was the answer to what he'd been wanting to put in to make his sewing machine. Put the hole at the front there, and then he could make it work. And then the sewing machine was born. Or take about this man here, Larry Page. In 1996, Larry had a strange dream. He dreamt that if he was to buy lots of old computers, he could somehow manage to download the whole of the web as it was in those days, and he could reorder and categorize things on the web in a, in, a, in a better way than a search system that was being used at the time. When he did that, he woke up the next day and he, he, he started work on this project and he managed to get it off the ground. And he sold it to a company who were called 
back rub at the time, uh, but you know them better today as Google. That's all came from a man's dream. Dreams can be very significant, but the best dreams are gospel dreams. Who can forget that great gospel dream John Bunyan had uh, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, where John Bunyan said, As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came upon a place where there was a den. There I lay down to sleep, and as I slept, I dreamed a dream. And he told his great gospel story. They're the best type of dreams. Dreams that help us understand things from the word of God better. Well, Zechariah, the prophet, in 520 BC, had such a dream. He had what I'd call a gospel dream. And this dream was actually one of many on one night. In chapters 1 to 6 at the opening of his book, he has a series of night visions and dreams that are given to him one after the other. You think you've had a bad night's sleep, feel sorry for this guy. As soon as he got off to sleep, the angel came and woke him up and gave him another vision or sent him another dream. And chapter 1 to 6 is a series of dreams he had in one night. And this one and chapter 4 go together. They're about the two leading people in Israel at that time. You see, the people of Israel had come back from captivity in Babylon, and they were trying to get the rebuilding program for the temple off the ground again. It had hit many problems, as we read in the book of Ezra. And these two men, Joshua the high priest, not to be confused with Joshua in the walls, of Jericho, uh, but Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel were the two leading men. The high priest was the spiritual leader and Zerubbabel was the governor of of the land at that time of Judah and he was very important to the building work as well. And so in chapter 3 and 4, God gave these dreams to Zechariah to help him inspire these people and to see that they could do this work. You see, as the captives had returned from Babylon to rebuild the temple, there was a problem with the priesthood. And the problem was the memory of their sins. The priests had been corrupt. They had done many things wrong. And so how were they able to lead the people in worship again? And so in this vision, God gave a a picture of what he was going to do spiritually for the priesthood who trusted in him. And it becomes a a bigger picture of what God is going to do for the nation of Israel as they turn to him as well. And it is a gospel dream. It's a picture of salvation. And it's a picture that is applicable to you and me today if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to see four things from this passage this morning that are instructive for us as we consider the gospel today. The believer's defense in verses 1 and 2. The believer's description in verse 2. The believer's dress in verses 3 to 5. And the believer's duty in verses 6 and 7. Let's go through these one by one. First of all, the believer's defense. Now the scene starts off perhaps in a courtroom. At least that's one suggestion. Uh, Another suggestion is it's taking place in the temple because he says he's standing before the angel of the Lord. That phrase is used in the book of Deuteronomy of the priests standing before the Lord uh, in their, their official role. But it seems more likely that this is a courtroom scene because in verse 1 we read, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. 
The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. In this dream, Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord is the way the Lord Jesus was revealed in the Old Testament before he took on his human body at Bethlehem when he was born uh, in Matthew chapter 1 uh, and Luke chapter 2. And in the, in the Old Testament, he appeared as an angel. Now, don't let that confuse you. It's not an angel like the Jehovah's Witnesses say about Jesus, that he was a mere angel. This is a divine angel. He is the angel of the Lord. The same one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and who Moses had to take his sandals off because he was standing before God. And this is a divine angel. And Joshua the high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord. But there's a third person there. It's Satan, the devil. Now he's called Satan three times in the Old Testament by name. He's called that in the book of Job. He's called that in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and he's called it here in Zechariah chapter 3. And there are three other references at least to Satan in the Old Testament. But these are where he's called by name in Hebrew, Ha-Satan. And the name Ha-Satan in Hebrew means the accuser. And this is the devil's role that he fulfills uh, in, uh, in this story. He comes as an accuser. By the way, he's still an accuser today. Revelation 12 verse 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. And the devil loves to come and accuse people of the things they've done wrong. Now, that's not to be confused with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of things we've done wrong so we can repent. But when the devil comes as an accuser, he accuses us or God's people to the Father and uh, to the Godhead. And so Joshua is in big trouble because Satan is standing there to accuse him. And Joshua is a sinner like everybody else and he, he represents a sinful nation. And so he knows he's in big trouble. So what he needs in this situation is an advocate. He needs someone to intervene on his behalf. And it's interesting that men know this. You know, some years ago there was a, a book and then a film made of this book called The Devil and Daniel Webster. And it was a story about a farmer by the name of Jabez Stone who was having difficulties with his farm in America. And so he sold his soul to the devil to get prosperity. But the time came for payment and the devil came to, uh, uh, to try and collect Jabez Stone. Uh, but Jabez Stone set up a court case and what he did was he got Daniel Webster to represent him. And by a series of clever arguments, Daniel Webster managed to get Jabez Stone off the hook. It's interesting men know that they need an advocate when the devil is involved. But you need a better advocate than Daniel Webster. Because the devil is not to be taken lightly. Satan is the most powerful created being that there is. And uh, he knows everything about you. Whether you keep a diary or not, he has been keeping a diary about you. And he's got all the information to accuse you before the devil, before the Lord. But here's the beautiful thing. When the devil stands there to accuse Joshua the high priest, in verse 2, the angel of the Lord, the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And what he does is he closes down the case straight away before the devil even has a chance to lay his charges uh, against, uh, against Joshua. Before he's even able to present his case, it's thrown out of court. And the Lord Jesus, as the advocate, the angel of the Lord, silences the devil. He uses a very powerful phrase, the Lord rebuke you. You remember that's used in the book of Jude when Michael is facing the devil uh, in the battle over the body of Moses. And this is a very powerful rebuke that Satan cannot stand up against in these situations. The Lord rebuke you because there's no higher authority than the Lord. And he says it's not on the grounds of, of this man's righteousness and goodness, but it's on, the goodness, it's on the, the goodness of God who has chosen Jerusalem and that God rebuke you. Now, dear friends, you may be thinking, so, well, that's a wonderful thing there. I would love an advocate like that too. Well, here's the good news. If you know Christ as your saviour and Lord, you do have an advocate like that. In fact, you have the same advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of 1 John, and you might want to write this down, 1 John chapter 2, we read these words. The apostle says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now notice that, please. He's not giving people an excuse to sin. He's saying, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and we know we do, We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's a wonderful, wonderful reality. When we are accused before God, then the Lord Jesus Christ, our advocate, steps up and silences the devil the same thing is taught in romans chapter 8 verse 33 and 34 it says who will bring any charge against those whom god has chosen it is god who justifies who is he that condemns christ jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us I don't know about you, but that gives me so much comfort. When I stand before God, you know, the devil could easily say to to God the Father, look at him. Look at him. Look at all the things he's done. Look at the way he's behaved. And he calls himself a Christian. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, Father, look at me. I'm the propitiation for his sins. I've paid for his sins on the cross. You don't have to judge him. The, The penalty has already been paid. I want to say, if you are a Christian and you are here today, then you should be praising the Lord for this, your advocate. You know, Psalm 109, verses 30 to 31 says this, With my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng I will praise him, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save his life from those who condemn him. That's exactly what we see happening here. And it's true for us. So those of us who are Christians, we have a security in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his representation as our advocate in heaven. What a defense the Christian has. 
second thing I want you to see from this passage is the believer's description. Because you'll see at the end of verse 2, when the angel is speaking uh, and denouncing Satan, he says this, Is not this man a burning stick, snatched from the fire? And that is a description of the believer, a burning stick snatched from the fire. Some of you may remember from your church history the story of John Wesley. When John Wesley was a little boy of five years old back in the 1700s, he lived uh, in his father's house, obviously, in Epworth. And his father, Samuel, I I seem to remember, was a a minister. And they lived in the manse, but it was one of those old houses with thatch roof and so on. And one night, John Wesley, as a little boy of five years old, woke up and the ceiling was on fire. Literally, he looked up and he could see fire above him. And he realized the house was on fire. He went to the, he got down on his hands and knees. He was a bright lad. He crawled along to the top of the stairs to see if he'd get down the stairs. But the stairs were all ablaze and there was no way down. He went back to his room, closed the door, and then he moved the chest of drawers up against the window. For a five-year-old, this is remarkable, but I'm glad he did. And he got up on top of the chest of drawers and looked out and saw his family who were already outside the house. And they were counting up the children and realized John was missing, or Jackie as they used to call him in those days. And he pounded on the glass and they looked up in horror and saw little John at the window. You know what they did? Some of the men, they made a little chain and one of them got up on the shoulder of another and they broke the glass and they pulled John out of the house as the roof came down. And John Wesley always said he was literally a brand snatched from the burning. And that was his description. But you know what? That's a description of all Christians. And it was a description of Joshua the high priest in two ways. First of all, it was true for him as a representative of Israel because the nation of Israel had been literally snatched from God's judgment. They had been away in captivity in Babylon. And uh, the Babylonian captivity was a serious thing and different nations were taking over now. And yet God had brought the remnant back to the land of Israel, just a little remnant. And it was like taking a brand, a little stick out of the fire and rescuing it. In that sense, they were like a brand snatched from the burning. But there was in a bigger sense than that as well. Because as a man who trusted in the Lord, Joshua was a man who was saved from hell. He was saved from Sheol, as they called it in those days. He was saved from hell by saving faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, that is the sense in which it is true also for us. And this is a description for us. We also are a brand snatched from the burning. Now, if somebody noticed that in the, in the Hebrew here, the, the, the word is brand, not branch. A branch is something bigger and safer But a brand is something that's plucked, it's still got the smoke on it, and it's just snatched out the fire. And you know what? That's a description of a person before when they when they become Christian. They are snatched from the fires of hell. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two that we were like the others, objects of wrath. We were heading for God's judgment. Billy Sunday, the old preacher, used to say he was going to hell sixty seconds a minute. And that was true of all of us. We were hell-bound. 
But by the mercy of God and the saving work of Jesus Christ, we were snatched from the fires of hell. What a beautiful description that is. What a powerful image that is. And I just wonder today whether or not you appreciate that's been true of you. Whether or not you you as a Christian know that you've been saved from such seriousness as hell itself. If you don't understand that, then I doubt very much if you really are even a Christian. Because a Christian is somebody who's saved. Now, what have you been saved from? What have you been saved from? Been saved from the judgment of God. And if you're not a Christian, I want to say this is what you can be. You can be snatched from the burning while there's yet time. I love this story of the old uh, American native Indian who was converted and he was trying to give his testimony to some, some missionaries who had come to his camp. And he was trying to share what God had done for him. And, and his, his English wasn't very good. So what he did was he made a demonstration. He got a load of leaves, dry leaves, and he put a worm on top of the dry leaves. Then he took a, a, a branch from the, from the fire and set lives, light to the leaves. And as the leaves were burning quicker and quicker, as he got near the worm, he put his hand in and grabbed the worm out. And he said, me worm. You know what? That's what I am. A brand snatched from the fire. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, that's what you need to be. You need to be snatched from the fires of hell. Hell is real. It's a terrible judgment and God will send people there. If you don't believe God will judge people for sin, look at the cross. Because that's where Jesus carried judgment for you. So you don't have to. And God wasn't afraid to pour out all the judgment of God on Jesus on the cross. And he will judge those who reject his saving work. So be a brand snatched from the burning. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to save you by faith today. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's a wonderful thing to be out of the fire rather than going to the fire. The third thing I want you to see here is the believer's dress in verses 3 to 5. Because uh, the, the, in moving on from the courtroom scene, we now see how the Lord dealt with the defilement of the priestly nation. And in verse 3 he says, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Now in, the, in, in this, you need to understand uh, the significance of the priestly robes. Uh, in the Old Testament, the priest was identified by his clothes. Just like we identify a policeman today when we see him in the street, in the street by his uniform. And uh, there were two types of priests. There was the priest general, which had the normal white linen robes, as is uh, the man here on, uh, on, the, on my side of the screen. And then you had the high priest who wore what were called the robes of glory, or the golden robes, which had a, a tunic and a breastplate and stone 
stones and a crown and everything, uh, all these extra robes. And these were like the uh, representation of him as the high priest before the nation. And he needed these robes to be able to minister before the Lord. He couldn't do it without them because that breastplate, that breastplate represented the nation of Israel. And each part of the, the garment is symbolic of his role and his office. Well, in this vision here, Joshua sees, uh, Zachariah sees Joshua and he's in these filthy robes. Now, he says, in effect, how can he go and represent us if he himself is unclean? How can he go into the temple minister like that? And it's a crisis. Joshua is dressed in filthy robes. And so the Lord says, take those filthy robes off him. And he redresses him in new garments, rich garments, as it says there uh, in verse 4. And this is a wonderful illustration of the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when we become Christians, he takes away our sin and he reclothes us in his righteousness. This was something John Bunyan understood very clearly. I'm I'm a big John Bunyan fan, so you have to forgive me for repeating all these things from Pilgrim's Progress. But when Pilgrim Christian comes to the cross, you remember, on his journey to the heavenly city, he he looks in faith to the cross, not the object, but what it symbolizes uh, in the saving work, and he loses the burden of his sin off his back, And it rolls away down into the tomb, never to be seen again. That touches me every time. You know, uh, my burden rolled off at Calvary as well. But there's a part of the story most people don't know uh, because they just know that bit. But after he had taken, he had lost his burden, three shining ones, as Bunyan calls them, appear in the vision. And uh, these three shining ones come and they give him a scroll, which is his, his covenant with God. And uh, they give him other things and they give him new clothes. They take off the old clothes that are defiled and ruined and they dress him in new rich robes. This is what the, the Bible teaches about salvation, that we are now delivered from our sin and reclothed in Christ's righteousness. You see, our own standing before God is like Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64 uh, and verse 6. He said, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. And you know, you, you might see someone coming to church, you know, very proud and handsome and, and feeling how good a person they are. But if they don't know Christ as their Savior and Lord, they're coming clothed in filthy rags. The rags of their sin, the defilement of all their, uh, their, 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 the things that they've done wrong. And, and this is what he says our righteous acts are like. <laughs> he didn't say this is even what our sins are like. He said this is what our righteous acts are like. You say, well, how can that be? It's because when we're sinful already, we defile everything we touch. And so our our righteousness before God is, it may be good towards men, but as far as God's concerned, it's defiled and it's unclean. But when we put our trust in Christ and ask him to save us, we're reclothed in the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation 
and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And God takes away our filthy rags, and he reclothes us in the righteousness of Christ. In New Testament terms, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him who knew no sin, that's the Lord Jesus, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's what the theologians called the great exchange. I give Jesus my sin, he gives me his righteousness. In fact, when I was growing up, I, I did a little book on uh, the, the catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I love this picture it had here of a, a little boy who is giving Jesus his dirty sins in, in the form of a cl- dirty clothes. And he's taking the righteousness of Jesus to wear in the form of clean clothes. That little children's book hit it nailed head on. That's exactly what the prophet saw here for Joshua. And it's what God can do for you and me. When we put our trust in Christ, we're reclothed and we have a new standing before God. Not in our own righteousness and goodness, but in the righteousness of Christ. That's a wonderful thing. You know what, when you go to some restaurants, they say to you and they say it to me, they say, sorry, you can't come in here without the proper dress. Have you ever seen those places? Well, when you want to go to heaven, that's what it's going to be like. You can't come in here without the proper dress. There's even a parable about this. The man who got to the wedding feast without his garment. (laughs) And he got thrown out. You need the proper dress to get into heaven. You need to be clothed in righteousness. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I urge you today, if you've not yet done so, to make that great exchange, to go to God and say, Lord, take away my sin and give me your righteousness. And let me have a right standing before you. And not only that, to trust in that righteousness and rest in it. Because that righteousness is a pure righteousness. It covers us totally. You know, when I look back over my life and I think of all the things I've done wrong, there's no shortage of things to make me blush. And I'm just glad you don't know the worst of them. But you know what? I thank God that when I stand before him, I won't be standing in my filthiness. I'll be standing in righteousness of Christ alone. That's, that's a precious thing. He has reclothed us. But even then, it doesn't finish. You'll notice in verse 5, it said, Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. What is the turban? The turban is the headpiece of the, uh, of the priest. And on the turban there is a crown. And the crown says this, holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. And the priest was able to go in and minister wearing that crown again. He was able to function wearing that crown as a representative of the people. When we get saved, we are are robed in righteousness and we are able to minister in Jesus' name and pray for others as well. What a blessing that is in the believer's dress. And the final thing we see here in this passage is the believer's duty in verses 6 and 7. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house And have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. The Lord has dealt in a saving way with Joshua in this vision. 
Now the last part is he's going to give him a role of responsibility again. And uh, this is a reality for the Christian that when we're saved, we're called to serve. George Verwer used to say, we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. And he's right. And this is what the angel of the Lord is giving in this vision here to Joshua. He says, if you, if you will walk in my ways. Now, I want you to notice the word if. This is uh, not conditional for salvation, but it is conditional for service and for blessing. He said, if you will walk in my ways, which is Joshua's private spiritual life. And keep my requirements. That's his public spiritual life regarding the priesthood. Then three things. Number one, you will govern my house. What was God's house? God's house in those days was the temple. They were going to rebuild. This was Solomon's temple. This is what they were trying to rebuild. Although they made it on a smaller scale before Herod supered it up. Uh, But this is where he was going to minister. He was going to govern the courts of the house of the Lord. And he said, you will have uh, a charge of my courts. And that means he will have the right to say who comes in and who doesn't. That one of the roles of the priest in the Bible was to be a gatekeeper. And uh, we read especially in Nehemiah about the gatekeepers who were stationed to make sure the right things happened in the temple. They were also responsible for saying what was kosher and what wasn't, what was clean and what wasn't. So they had a responsibility to that. But they also had a spiritual responsibility. And God says, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Who were these standing here? So far we've only seen the Lord and Joshua and then there was Satan. Well, the these, if you pick it up from the rest of Zechariah, is the angels. God said, I'm going to give you a place among these standing here. In other words, you will have a heavenly ministry as well in prayer. Uh, You will be able to enter heaven, as it were, by the Spirit in prayer and intercede for others. And this is the believer's duty. When we're saved, we praise God we've been saved, but it's our duty to pray for others and minister to others. And the Lord called the nation of Israel to be a nation of priests, and he calls his church a kingdom of priests as well. And we're called to serve the Lord faithfully in the way which he has called us to. So what a dream this was, a gospel dream that God gave to Zechariah that night. And what a message that is for those of us who are believers or those of us who are unsaved. I wonder, will you heed this dream? Christians feel different things about dreams, but one thing I think is very hard to deny, you've got to really work hard to deny it, is that across the Muslim world, there are a lot of people who are having dreams uh, from Muslim backgrounds. And I read a fantastic report in FIBA Radio's magazine. Some of you may know FIBA Radio. It's the Far East Broadcasting Association that were out in in the Seychelles. And they broadcast across a lot of the world where it's close to Christianity and the gospel. And uh, they broadcast the gospel message. And they had a letter from a man called Hassem from Yemen. Yemen's a very closed country to the gospel. And Hassim wrote in and he said, one night I had a dream of a man in white standing before me. And he said, Hassim, he said, get out as quickly as you can. He said, when I woke up, because I liked the man in my dream and I felt there was something significant to it, he said, I felt I should do what he said. So I got myself dressed quickly and got out of the house. 
He said, not long after I got out of the house, the house was destroyed by a Saudi missile. He said, that made me want to know more about the man in my dream who had warned me. And he said again, he said uh, he had another dream and the dream uh, made him realize that the person was the Lord Jesus. So he got in touch with Fever Radio and said, please tell me about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they sent him scripture and uh, broadcasting materials to help him grow. That man had a dream and he responded to it. God has given us a dream in the pages of scripture. We don't need a dream like that. We've got our Bibles. But he's given us a dream here to respond to. And my prayer is today that you will respond to this message. You need a defense. Who's going to stand for you on the day of judgment before God? You need uh, that dress, that, that righteous dress to be able to stand, to be able to go into heaven. You need to be a brand snatched from the fire. Better to go to heaven than hell any day, isn't it? And you need to minister for others too when you're saved and follow in the, in the footsteps of Joshua as a praying priest. So I pray you'll take this message to heart and the Lord will cause you to act. And if you don't know Christ as your saviour, believe on him and trust him today.